Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. First, it's free. How much better does it get? Second, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Third, Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever your audience is tuning in, your podcast will be there. Fourth, you can make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. Look at us. We have less than 100 listeners per episode, yet we still make money on ads. Granted, it's not a lot, but we still make money. And finally, it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm. That's anchor, the thing you throw off your boat, .fm to get started. Welcome in to another edition of the Jamie Sports News Podcast. I'm Bennett Conlon. I'm joined by Jack Fitzpatrick. And later, we have a second Bennett. Yeah, I, I'm a little outnumbered in this podcast. Two Bennett's to one Jack. Don't know how I feel about that one, but I guess we'll make it through. No, we had a Bennett on who is who covers Missouri um, for the St. Louis Dispatch. St. Louis Post-Dispatch, yes, sir. St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He came on, gave us a lot of great insights on Missouri softball since Full transparency, um, neither Bennett nor I really watched a lot of Missouri softball through the regular season, and I think Bennett just caught a couple innings of their regional. So we needed a little bit of um, a good teaching, too, and Bennett, too, definitely gave that to us. I mean, most seasons, normally I'll do work, and on the side I'll stream Missouri sports, but this year I didn't happen to do it, no. <laughs> There's, I, I think, like, with FCS football and – we certainly pay attention, like JMU fans. When I say we pay attention to like other programs, at least a little bit, maybe even in men's basketball within the conference. I, I think we at least know like top players and things like that. But yeah, I mean, when it comes to like outside the conference, no one like Olympic sports, you're not going to get a whole lot of <laughs> of knowledge. So that was that was pretty helpful. But it's a softball pod. It's this a full is, softball pod. This is my dream. Yeah, this is what Bennett started the season dreaming about. I dreamt about spring football, and then it uh, became a nightmare. And Bennett dreamt about college softball, and now it's becoming the best dream he's ever had as Jamie finds themselves in the Super Regional after sweeping their way through the regional. That was so impressive. Like That, <laughs> that was so impressive. You, they go we, through... <laughs> you really th- you were like it takes a great team to not lose a game in the regional. Like this was when we were down to Liberty, we were down against Liberty, and the bats just weren't happening. Like it yeah. looked bleak, and you were like, "Oh, we can get them in the second game. It's fine. Great teams lose a game in the regional." And then the bats came alive, and I think it was just it was just insane. Like they they were a great team. Yeah, I mean, just super cool, and I mean it's the farthest any team has ever gotten right so jamie is third super regional in five seasons but no one's made the women's college world series so they've already made in some ways you know program history by reaching this point of 37 and one now granted they played just a disgustingly bad schedule up until the regional uh some people have talked about how delaware is like a top 30 rpi team that that's an rpi issue not a delaware like <laughs> not a delaware that's not delaware is good that's rpi is abysmal Absolutely. So JMU is really good and they played an easy schedule, but for them to to play that schedule and then play three top 25 teams, two against Liberty, of course, it's, you know, two teams, but they beat Liberty twice and then they beat Tennessee in Knoxville. I mean, I thought they were going to lose the first game watching that game against Liberty. Like I thought they should have lost that game and they end up winning it. Oh my God. It's just, it's crazy. Cause I think Liberty was the, th- if, if we go by everything, like, it's it's clear that, like, if you go by the record, Liberty was the second best team, Jamie was the first, Tennessee was the third, and Eastern Kentucky was the fourth, which mm-hmm. I also completely keep forgetting that they were in, that Eastern Kentucky was even in the regional for them. There's always at least, yeah. <laughs> um, but I think, like, looking back, you would think, like, maybe Tennessee just had a couple bad games. But I truly believe that Liberty was better than Tennessee, at least that weekend. And like beating Liberty twice 
was huge. I think it was, it was bigger than, than beating t- – I won't go that far because beating Tennessee is a national – like it's an SEC school and it, it's it, just name recognition. It's bigger. But Liberty, their pitchers seem to have JMU for a large portion of stretches – have, have the bats just confused. They weren't getting – they were making contact, but they weren't getting them down to get base hits. And it just seemed like JMU couldn't figure out Liberty. And then Liberty's – the big bats of the Bishop Twins. We couldn't stop hearing about them. And just the power of Liberty kind of came through. And then all of a sudden, JMU bats just came live and the offense figured it out. But I think beating Liberty twice, especially in the way they did it the first time, was absolutely monumental. If we're talking like pure talent, I think maybe Tennessee gets the edge. But Tennessee to me seemed like a team that like they got down and then they looked shell-shocked. Like Liberty was just scrappy. Like for every – all the 17 innings Jamie had again, like the Flames were kind of irritating. They had like a lot of pitchers. They had enough – They had so many pitchers. pitchers. They had so many – like they didn't have an ace, but they had three serviceable pitchers, which was so annoying in that one inning that they rotated through all three. I think JMU benefited a little bit that they had kind of – they didn't use Emily Kirby a whole lot. She actually came in in relief, and they hit her pretty well in that that second game against Liberty with the first Sunday win. But I think they benefited from – Liberty had to win twice on Saturday. They had to beat Tennessee in the second game after JMU had already beaten Tennessee, but they also had to play Eastern Kentucky. And I think that one went a full seven innings. So, like, they were – kind of laboring a little bit where all the pitchers had to pitch and I know Odyssey won a lot but like to have a day's rest between starts I think is is pretty valuable so I think there was beneficial you know it was good things there like if Liberty wins that first game on Friday I don't think it's crazy to think that maybe Liberty would have gotten out of the regional yeah I think I think that was the game like if JMU had to then play Eastern Kentucky and then beat Tennessee like the Tennessee game was no gimme either like it was a hard-fought win for JMU so, so you don't even know if they're – I'm assuming they beat Eastern Kentucky, but I can't assume they beat Tennessee in that second game on that day. So, like, who knows if Jamie even makes it to the regional final. Like, winning that first game, was it in 10 innings? Yeah. was huge. Like, that – like, looking back, hindsight's twenty twenty, but that game, you could argue, was for the regional. It was massive. I think Tennessee – um, underperformed at the same time. I think Tennessee was significantly overrated, right? It's a team that's ranked like 18th in the polls and they got a nine seed. Yeah, it's the SEC and, bias. And 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 it was funny because JMU fans were saying it after they beat them and everyone was calling an upset, which <laughs> it was, but it was an upset perfect in the making where it's kind of like with Michigan in 2019 when they ousted the host and they made it to the Super Regional. Michigan was a little overhyped. JMU that season was in the running to host a regional and they didn't. And so JMU was a little underhyped and that was a perfect storm. And then the same thing this year, Tennessee's way overseeded. I wouldn't necessarily say JMU was underseeded because they played an abysmal schedule. Yeah. But, but I think for the most part, Tennessee was just way overseeded and JMU was the third team in that regional. Yeah. I mean, JMU, Liberty and Tennessee all seem like pretty even teams. And I think that was, Maybe the national perception was like Tennessee is going to cruise through, but anyone who's really followed the teams knew. And I thought JMU was was better than Liberty coming in. Um, and I think that kind of proved out to be true. But Liberty impressed me a good bit. I thought they were well coached and and played hard. But Tennessee, they kind of stunk. I mean, they they struggled a little bit with Eastern Kentucky early in that game before putting it on and cruising. And then JMU beat somewhere. You know, Tennessee scored in the first and then couldn't score again. And Liberty went out and hit like a grand slam or something big in that, that win against them. I mean, Tennessee was not impressive. Tennessee didn't have offense. No. Like just, and then their pitching was like good, but it was but, actually Rogers and nothing else. Yeah. And their pitching wasn't good enough to overcome having no offense. Like the offense needed to like put up three or four runs and they were just stinking up the place with one or two. Yeah, and then the one time they had, like, any sort of offense going, they got shelled by Liberty and, and tried to use multiple pitch. It was just kind of a kind of a mess. So, yeah, they were – I think it was questionable going in that they were a nine seed, and that was proven kind of true. Yeah. Uh, even if people weren't talking about it a ton. But we got to talk about Odyssey's performance. Yeah, what do you want to talk about? Do you want to talk about the 100 million pitches she pitched on the first day? Do you want to talk about – her crazy game against Liberty. What do you want to talk about? The Tennessee game? Like, I knew that she was a very good player. 
<laughs> I did not know she had that in her. Like a 19 strikeout, 10 inning performance. Because in 2020, she like that shortened season, she had an ERA of six. Yeah, I think she, she was dealing with with injury and things like that. But like she played a couple of big games. She got shelled a couple of times. Like against good opponents. Like whenever yes. she faced good, like she was really good. And this was, I think, was our question coming into this season. We were like, we know Odyssey is CAA great. Yes. Is Odyssey like SEC good? Or is she Big 12 good? And we didn't have any of the invitationals to start the season to kind of gauge that. And the last time we saw her was against Georgia, an SEC team that shelled her for eight runs, was it? When she played against Georgia, she gave up like 13 and like four and a third. So something terrible. And like that was the last taste in our mouth. But we knew Odyssey was a good pitcher, but I think she cemented herself as a great pitcher this weekend. I mean, you don't go out and have a 19K outing. Even if it was in 10 innings, like that's just absurd, the level of dominance. You're striking out 1.9 batters an inning. Two, Let's round up. Essentially two batters an inning, which is insane. Just unbelievable. And like the she broke Megan Good's record of 17 strikeouts. Megan's 17 strikeout performance, or I think it was 17 or 18, but it came against Towson in a nine-inning game. Yeah. So that one went to extras too. So it was like, all right, like when you're looking at the records here, it benefits to have a little extra time, I guess. But just crazy for her to go out and, and do that. And like she's been considered like a top 100 player because of what yeah. she can do as a pitcher and hitter. And like she's her. really good. Yeah, she's a she's a power five caliber player. But it was just a question of like, can she carry a team yeah. for an entire regional against like a Tennessee and a Liberty? I mean, top 25 teams, and she absolutely did. Yeah, I mean – in saying that she did that, and then in the Liberty game, I, I kind of glossed over the Tennessee game just because it was a little bit of a snoozer. <laughs> um, but it was great, it was a great win. But against the Liberty the second time, and then she comes in and she has a clutch hit. Like, not only is yeah. she a great pitcher, and then we'll talk about Alyssa Humphrey coming in for probably some of the biggest innings. I mean, she'll have bigger innings against Missouri, I assume. But some of the biggest innings to her career up to this point. But then Odyssey – pitched a great game and then had clutch hits in the game to help her own cause out there in the circle. She's just a really good player to have. And like, they've got so many of those where you're like, when Kate Gordon comes up or Sarah Jubas, Odyssey yeah, Alexander. Pitch around Kate Gordon, right? <laughs> we'll get into that. <laughs> but no, I mean, just, they've got so many players that really contribute in across the lineup and it's a deep, complete team. Like it's a team that's good enough to, We'll get into this later, but good enough to get out of the super regional and obviously good enough to advance through the regional. And it was exciting to see Odyssey have this stage because she's waited a really long time. Like you can make an argument that she could have been given more innings and things like that against top caliber teams, but Megan Good got them. And you can't argue against Megan Good eating up innings because she's arguably the best athlete like in JMU history. Yeah. But to follow that up and still like stand out with your greatness is so cool. Yeah. The her performance just is insane to me. Like she isn't, she isn't the goat. Like the, I think that's reserved for making good, Yeah. but she has put together. It's kind of like when you're debating like the goat of foot, not football, but like you're, you're debating someone where someone's clearly cemented as the number one. And when mm -hmm. you say it, you're debating the second, I think Odyssey, especially after this last weekend has made a real case that she's the second best player to ever step foot on at veterans memorial park i think it's hard when you talk about this to go away from a two-way player right so it's pretty much it's like megan and then odyssey and jalen and kate gordon what she's done statistically as a batter is unbelievable yeah, it's fantastic but it's so hard when you also look and it's like oh yeah odyssey alexander had a 19 strikeout game in a regional like <laughs> it's, it's, it's hard to say oh odyssey hit seven home runs or however many she hit this season and had a sub one era it's like just that, crazy. It's just hard. You can't really – and Megan Good, who had like a 1-9 ERA for her entire career plus 100 home runs or however many she hit, like you can't argue against that. Kate Gordon's offense is amazingly, stupidly good, and what she did in the CAA championship was just not human. But it is hard to go against a two-way player. I, I don't know how we ended up on this topic of who's – The GOAT debate. Yeah, the, a GOAT number two debate, but – I'm I'm just looking at the uh, the box score for that game, and Alyssa Humphreys 1.2 innings pitched, 
Mm-hmm. Oh, they gave the win to Alyssa Humphrey in the save to Odyssey. Yeah, she ended up getting the win because that's when they ended up scoring the go-ahead run. She pitched two outs after that, I think. Okay. Oh, yeah, we were debating it if she had come in after they took the lead. I think Odyssey gets it's like Jamie's first save of the season or something weird. <laughs> it is. It is the first save of the season. But it's poor, – poor Johnson came in for one batter, struck out one batter, and got stuck with the L. That is tough. Um, she must have – Oh, Alyssa Humphrey. This, on my, <laughs> this was my segue to Alyssa Humphrey and her amazing 1.2 innings pitch. That just needs to be appreciated in so many ways that she was able to step in. Mm-hmm. She only allowed two hits, one earned run, struck out three. Like, fantastic. Like, that was exactly what JMU needed and what specifically Odyssey needed in that moment, who had pitched up to that point over 200 pitches and was getting tired. I don't know if that was necessarily like a throw in the towel move of, we're putting Alyssa in. Let's get her some batters faced, and we'll live to see game two. And then the offense came alive, and then they kind of readjusted. Not entirely sure if that was the plan, but whatever the plan was, it worked out perfectly. I think it was kind of like, a, let's see if we can throw a different look and and keep it at this – for her to come in with the team trailing and keep it at that mark in that opening inning that she had and then let the offense kind of – go to work was huge because then it then it does bring in the opportunity of like okay let's bring Odyssey back in and and finish off the game and I think Alyssa you know if they don't come back maybe Alyssa finish finishes the game or something like that but she was good she came in and she also she's not a two-way player right so she hadn't played in the first two games of the weekend they're like oh hey we win this game we go to super regionals we're down two runs it'd be kind of cool if you held the lead there like good luck (laughs) and she yeah and she was great she was awesome so that was a huge performance. The best part about her coming in was you're going from Odyssey, who's just pitching 70-mile-an-hour heaters, and then you come to Alyssa, who's pitching 45-mile-an-hour, like, off-speed stuff. And it was yeah. just such – like, as a batter, that must just spin your mind around. Like, you're sitting there, like, you've, you've seen – not only that, you also played that first game where Odyssey pitched over 115 pitches to you, so you're just used to things whizzing by you. And things would be, like, held up in the zone at 45. And the batter would just be like, damn. I mean, it was hilarious. Like, she was throwing 45-mile-an-hour pitches that just sort of floated right down the middle. And they're just taking them, like, what is this? And then two (laughs) innings later, Odyssey comes in and she's throwing 70 again. I mean, (laughs) the velocity change and how that must, you know, mess with your eyes has got to be just awful. So I think that's something that, and we'll get into this a little later, but like if she can toss a couple innings against Missouri, even if she gives up some runs, but can just kind of change it up and give Odyssey a better chance, that's something to keep an eye on. Cause yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard when you're having one pitcher try to, you know, throw 14 to 21 innings or whatever. Yeah. And let's talk about some unsung heroes. This one isn't as much as an unsung hero as just a hero of the weekend in Sarah Jubis, who is just like, yes, Miss Automatic, Miss Clutch, every name. Like, Kate Gordon gets all the headlines because Kate – and rightfully so, but is just a home run destroyer and just contact. I want to see what Kate Gordon's batting average on the season is because it's got to be insane. It's like – I think Jubis clips her by a little bit. They're both, like, right around – Jubis is above 400, but I think Kate's, like, 398 or something. 397, (laughs) which is just insane. But, like, yeah, Sarah Jubis is – one of the best just hitters on the team. Not not a power hitter, but can just find the gap, get a single, get a double, and just an RBI machine. Got two RBIs and was huge in the Liberty first game too. And she's had huge moments where, like, she gets these big doubles and sometimes she'll go yard and hit some huge – I mean, she has been clutched throughout her career. I mean, she was huge, I think, against Michigan in that series. So she's big time and, and she's got pretty much everything you're looking for in a hitter. You want to hear something crazy about Sarah Jubis? Go for it. She has played four full seasons now. Three of them, she's batted over 420. Well, she's at 418 this season. She's batted over 418 for three of those seasons. She batted 302 her first season, which is still fantastic. Yeah, I mean, she's just <laughs> such a good player. Like, huge addition. She's a redshirt junior, so she's she's coming back, I believe. So she'll have another year next year thank goodness but she's unbelievable she's also someone like we talk a lot about how it translates from like ca to power five she's like arguably better and more productive in these clutch moments against like power five teams so like she's just a flat out good hitter yeah 
And then moving to unsung heroes, I guess you could say. We talked about Alyssa. Lauren Burnett, the catcher. I think a freshman catcher. Yeah. The huge insurance (laughs) dagger home run. Like, what was that? That was insane. I think she had maybe like two home runs and six. I was looking up. She hadn't had an RBI since like April 3rd. And she rips an opposite field to right field. Two run home run to put them up, I guess, eight to four. And then they ended up giving up one more run but like if can you imagine if it was six to four and they give up the solo home run in the top or bottom whatever it was top of the seventh bottom of the seventh to liberty and it's six to five that's a lot more pressure than eight to five it's it's hilarious she didn't have a hit up to that point that was her only hit of the regional just such a good at bat and she was obviously battling behind the plate all weekend and, and made those defensive contributions. But gosh, speaking of what she caught a, about a million rise balls that were like six feet above her head. <laughs> those so are hilarious. Like, I don't think they were supposed to be that high. And I tell them were about it at one point. And you're like, well, they're rise balls. They're supposed to go up. And I was like, some I of them are supposed, supposed to, go to up. force the catcher <laughs> to squat up and catch it. But they made some impressive plays. She was, she was really good. Yeah, they had pretty much everyone contribute defensively and, and offensively. So a full team effort. That was a heck of a win. Yeah, it was, that was a fun weekend. I'm excited to do it again this weekend against Missouri. But before we dive into Bennett number two jumping on the podcast yes. with us, I think you put in the outline national, <laughs> national media. I want you to just talk about this because I, I think you have some, some things you want to get off your chest. I have multiple things. First, I guess let's talk broadcast which I, they were setting the scene in the, the final game of the weekend, um, kind of like how many outs Liberty had left and how Liberty's season would end and Liberty's RPI. And I, I don't know if they were just doing it for, like, dramatic purposes or whatever, but, like, one of the teams was clearly going to a Super Regional and the other team was Liberty. So why are you talking about that? That was really irritating to me is when they were like, oh, here's how Liberty did all these things. It's like, why don't you talk about the team that's going to their third Super Regional in five seasons? It's also, it was also annoying because, like, they're like, Liberty bolstered their RPI with these preseason invitationals and, like, this. And, and it's like, JMU does that every yes. other year. JMU, like, is always doing that. And yet, this year they didn't because of COVID. And now you're like, good for Liberty for, you know, going out there. They knew they were going to catch the L's, but, man, their RPI really looked good. <laughs> And like, good for them. And it was just like, if, I feel like you're missing the entire point that this season started in March or April, March, right? When, when did this season start? I think it was March, yeah. Maybe, I don't know if it's people, some people might have played in February, but, but like you would think it was March. During COVID, when it, COVID was, yeah. vaccines weren't readily, like, and all of this stuff. So why are you kind of like, it felt like they're almost demonizing JMU for not playing a hard RPI schedule. And it's like, they do this every other year. Like let's, let's, let's look at the grand scheme of things. I'll let you get back to your rant, but that's what really bothered me about that. No, it's funny. Cause they kept putting up a graphic with like SEC teams and they're like, wow, look at their strength of schedules. It was like, all right, well, like they just beat Tennessee having played no one else. So maybe let's look at the teams and what they're doing directly in front of you instead of being like, have you seen Tennessee's like April 4th series? Like <laughs> nobody cares. Like they, they lost Jamie one. I just feel like there's a lack of research going on and some of it too. When they like Odyssey came out in that first game and they're like, could Odyssey week Odyssey's weekend be done? It was like, Probably not. Yeah, that, that, was, that was hilarious that they said that. It's like, could her day be done? Yes. But could her <laughs> like that game? I don't yeah. think the head coach of JMU, Lauren Laporte, is going to say, you know what? In a winner-take-all game two on the second day, on the third day of a regional, I'm going to throw out Alyssa Humphrey, my true freshman, when I have a monster of an ace. What? Wouldn't have made any sense. Also, they would have brought in Humphrey in relief had her go four innings and then had her throw the next seven in the other game. <laughs> like, were they looking at her like Alexis Bermudez, you know, that, that <laughs> she can really, I've heard good just, things. Just wild. Cause like Bermudez did such a great job stepping in when Odyssey was hurt against CAA teams, but obviously hasn't really been used as much when Alyssa and Odyssey both been healthy. Yeah. That's not hard to look at. You could find that in like a game log. Like you just, I don't know if you're covering a, an entire regional and then it's the third day of the regional. So, like, yep. at this point, if you hadn't researched Jamie much before, now you should very much be aware yep. that they're probably going to advance just based on, like, odds where they have two games they only need to win one. And, oh God, the amount of things they said where I was just like, that is completely off base. And then the twins. 
They did a lot on the Bishop Twins, who are awesome. They had a great career. Yeah, good career for them. Over. Like, they didn't do a lot for <laughs> Kate Gordon. Right. It was like talk about uh, how they've had all this success and like, I don't know, it just felt like they were kind of kind of letting it go. And then like they're really setting the tone and the drama there. They were talking about the statement that one of the Bishop Twins made when she hit the home run to cut the deficit to three and the, when they were, had two outs left. It was like, that's not a statement. That's garbage time padding of the stats. And it was cool. It was a bit of bat but it means nothing like that was really frustrating they're like wow this is the kind of thing like is this game not over it's like it's it's still pretty much over because they need three runs they have two outs god that was awful but then for the next rant i was listening like the seven innings podcast which is the national podcast and look i can't you know crap on them too much like how many national softball podcasts are there like good on them for covering softball yeah but they had probably a five minute segment on jmu and I swear to God, there, first of all, there's like 15 people on this podcast, which is remarkably confusing for someone who has not listened to it before. They, so they had every person basically give a take. And I would say like six out of the eight gave just insane takes. Like one of the, the things that you alluded to earlier is they were like, I think Tennessee made a mistake pitching to Kate Gordon. Okay. Well, when they gave up the home run to Kate Gordon, it was, it was a one zero game in the third inning. I believe there were two outs and there were runners. I think it was on first and second. And Sarah Jubis, who bats 420 and who does that all the time, as you've mentioned, was up next. And they're like, oh, I just don't know why you pitched to Kate Gordon. Oh, who also, Sarah. like, no offense to, like, Kate Gordon had a fantastic CA championship and was very good in the regional, but she wasn't like a superhuman home run machine during the regional. She was, she was batting like a human. So, like, <laughs> yeah, you're going to pitch to her. Imagine having your ace on the mound in the third inning up one against a team at home. And you walk her to load the bases and get to someone who hits 420. And, is, a run. Clutch, like, and is one of the clutchest players, I would say, in the, like, this is my bias showing, but is one of the clutchest players in the nation. And you're like, you know yeah. what? I want her up. Who that had a great, better. who had a really strong performance against Liberty in the first game. So the game prior in the regional that Tennessee probably would have watched most recently. Yeah. So that was just a crazy take. They kind of went back on it earlier and were like, Oh, maybe that doesn't make sense. Cause Sarah Jubis is really good. But, and then like at one point they're like, Jamie's last super regional was in 2018. It was in 2019. That's not that hard to look up. And then the other one they said was like, it's the team's second super regional. And it's like, maybe if they're talking about this group of players, that would make sense. I don't know if that was what they meant, um, but the program's obviously been, been to three. So it's also, I think the craziest thing about messing up the last time they went to a super regional is that of the last four years, two of the times all the regional hosts made it through and the other two times JMU and it was the last two years. So for two years in a row from 2017 and 18, all the regional hosts made it through and then 2019 and 2021 Jamie is the only non host to make it through because they ousted the host in dramatic fashion. It's just, it's like, like I'm not even like a huge softball nut, but I know that. It was just really frustrating because like it's not that hard to to find this stuff. And the other one that really not upset me, but was like just kind of crazy. I was looking it up now to make sure I had all my things written down. But they were like, um, you know, Odyssey's had a great season. And she's really built on this, and you know, built on what Megan Good did. And like I can agree with all that. And they're like, she got off to a crazy hot start in 2020 before the pandemic canceled the season. It's like she was dealing with injury and had an ERA of six. So like, what's your definition of a crazy hot start? Cause I think the team actually was kind of like finding its legs without Megan good in 2020 COVID canceled the season. They came out this year fired up and like grateful for the chance to even have a season. And I think they've benefited from like learning and practicing as a team and getting better. And now I think they're better than they would have been at the end of 2020. And I think yeah. it's benefited Odyssey a ton, even though she, you know, battled the hamstring injury this year. But to say that she had a hot 2020 when she had an ERA of six is so remarkably wrong. <laughs> well, let's move from national media to regional media and welcome in Bennett, uh, Bennett Durando from the St. Louis Post-Dispatch, um, who gave a fantastic breakdown of what to expect in this super regional what Missouri does good, what Missouri doesn't do too well, and what JMU fans can expect out of a packed house in Columbia, Missouri. So we're now welcoming in Bennett Durando of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. He's a correspondent who has covered Missouri softball. And Bennett, I guess first, cool name, 
but but secondly, can you take us through, I guess, how long you've covered Missouri softball and, and how long you've followed the program and things like that? Yeah, so I, uh, I've i sort of been following along and sharing coverage with the other Mizzou beat writer this season. And, and before this, I uh, would do a lot of features on them for the Columbia, Missourian, where I used to work. Um, and so, so really most of the Larissa Anderson era here, and, and it's just been sort of fascinating to chart her, the way that she's taken the program from a situation where they had a postseason ban uh, they had controversy with, with the former head coach, Aaron Earlywine, and all of a sudden they're a national seed hosting a super regional this weekend. What, what she's done has been pretty meteoric here. And I think, uh, a lot of, a lot of fans in the sports community in Columbia have sort of latched onto it. So it, it's, it's been an exciting time for them. I think one of the things that's interesting is Larissa Anderson was, you know, at Hofstra for a really long time. So she's familiar with JMU. I don't think most JMU fans or, or probably casual softball fans were maybe knew that she was at Hofstra and now is at Missouri, but what can you, you tell us about Larissa or coaching style and what she's like as a person? Right. Well, so it, it's sort of funny, the connection that she has having been a former conference rival of JMU. Uh, she was at Hofstra for, I think it was 18 years, 16 years. Um, I had a conversation with her last year about the most, meaningful or memorable game that that she had ever been a part of in her career um and she pointed out her very first regional game as an assistant coach at Hofstra in 2003 um and they were going at Nebraska who was a national seed and you know odds stacked against them I think everyone was sort of wowed by by the hospitality and everything about it and it, before that very first game uh, against Nebraska, because Hofstra was the lowest seed in, in the region, um, they had like a ridiculous batting practice. They were all hitting home runs from their practice field onto the field where Nebraska was warming up. And the Nebraska coaches sort of huddled together and decided, okay, we can't pitch our number two starter. We've got to go with our ace for this game <laughs> against Hofstra. And they made a, a last-second pitching change before the game. Um, and, and I think everyone and, – and what stood out to Larissa about that was just that that you can be so overlooked for being a small school or, or for being that mid-major. Uh, and, and once you're finally in front of them, you know, a lot can change. And they ended up winning that game. Uh, on a three-run homer off of off of Nebraska's best pitcher, which also is sort of funny, shares parallels to the three-one win for James Madison against Tennessee <laughs> last weekend, I, I guess. But uh, if if there's something about Larissa that's sort of most characteristic for her, it's that she loves to be an underdog. She loves to convince her team that they're an underdog no matter what. And so I think while a lot of Missouri fans might be overlooking James Madison this weekend because they're not Tennessee. They're not the top seed out of that regional. Larissa is going to make sure that that her team is not overlooking James Madison because on paper, still a great team that's won as many games as it has in a row. Um, so I, I don't know. She she has that sort of chip on her shoulder mentality. Mizzou was picked to finish eighth in the SEC this year. They end up number eight in the country in the tournament. So I, any any way that she can sort of twist things to – to convince her team that they need to have a chip on on their shoulder she's going to do that and I think she'll find a way to do that with James Madison too yeah she did that pretty well at Hofstra I would say considering <laughs> I think they took down JMU in the CAA finals twice and both times JMU was the favorite and so she does a good job of that but now I think JMU is going to try and um, kind of repay that favor but from what we saw in that regional, Missouri, I didn't allow, they had more runs and they had allowed hits or something crazy. They had a no hitter. What makes Missouri such a potent team now in the postseason? Yeah, the, the sense here right now is that uh, they're playing their very best softball of the year, um, that they're sort of peaking at the right time because this is a team known for its offense and for its power hitting. Mostly they, entered the regional tied with the school record for most homers in a single season, the very first hitter of the regional broke that record. Um, and so, I mean, that, that's been their identity, the home run ball. Um, but, but I think what, what makes them a little extra scary right now is that 
their pitching, which is not at all their greatest attribute, was just dominant uh, in the regional. They allowed two hits in 20 innings. Um, didn't have to go to the bullpen at all. It was Jordan Weber, who was five outs away from a no-hitter on the first game. Lauren Krings, one out away from a no-hitter the second game. And then Jordan <laughs> Weber ends up getting the no-hitter on the third day. So um, just sort of impressive. What And it was a little bit of a weaker regional, too, I think, in terms of the opponents. But but the fact that those pitchers sort of found their stride at the right time uh, is really what makes this team dangerous right now, I think, on top of the hitting that they're already known for being one of the highest scoring teams in the SEC. So, I think college softball, the, the atmosphere is something that maybe excites me the most. So what should JMU fans expect to see uh, from Missouri fans, I guess, at this super regional? And, and what did you see at the regional in terms of, of fan turnout with what's allowed and, and just that atmosphere? A full house. They should probably expect a full house. <laughs> I, I think the last weekend was, was really exciting. The environment was great. Um, and I think that there was a little bit of an extra sort of sense of the community coming together and sharing this camaraderie of live sports because it was the first uh, full capacity event that Mizzou has hosted since pre-COVID. So on top of, you know, sort of the most exciting team that I think there's been at Mizzou in any sport in the last year or two, you've got, you know, finally a chance for people to be packed into a stadium and, and watch a live event together. Uh, and it's a great team on top of that. So, so the environment was great. Um, I think, I think throughout last weekend, as the pitchers came progressively closer to the no hitter, <laughs> there was sort of a, an extra tension to that too. So there was, uh, it felt like sort of a, a, a sense of relief, I guess, when, when it finally happened, um, it, like they were waiting to, to sort of erupt fully for the first time almost, but, um, it was great. I, I mean, the, all of those games were just pretty packed, pretty exciting. I think it's going to be the same this weekend. Awesome. Are there any X factors coming into this? Because JMU fans, or, or maybe not even X factors, just players to watch. Because I'm not sure JMU fans, and I mean, me, I haven't even followed Missouri all that closely all season, as I, as one doesn't in, in Harrisonburg, Virginia. But um, what's kind of the players to watch? What 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 is to be expected? Who's gonna who's gonna have that big game? Right, right. Well, first of all, I, I think the most interesting sort of matchup is going to be how uh, James Madison handles. Is it Odyssey Alexander? Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's the thing about college softball. If you've got an ace, then it doesn't necessarily matter if you're an underdog because that. I, you've got someone who can run the table for two or three games. Um, but it'll, but Missouri, I think its greatest strength is that uh, they, they figure out how to adjust to a pitcher the second or third time through a lineup. And it might be the same in terms of a second or third game. So it'll be interesting to see how JMU wants to handle her usage. I think throughout that series, if, if keeping her in longer is going to be, you know, potentially more detrimental if it goes two or three games. And I think for that reason, winning the first is going to be really important in terms of the players to watch. Uh, Hattie Moore right now is sort of, I mean, she's playing her best softball this season right now. She's Mizzou's senior catcher. She reached base nine of 11 played appearances in the regional um, drove in four runs, caught the no hitter. Um, she's Tied for the team lead with 17 home runs right now, Kim Wirt. Uh, the third baseman is also tied with her for that. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting players up and down the lineup. Those two, in terms of the power hitting, are going to be sort of the ones where, where Alexander is going to be sweating it out, trying to avoid the home run ball all weekend, I think. But, but they've got players who can hit the home run ball up and down the lineup. Uh, I mean, I'm trying to think. Emma Robbie, the first baseman, can has – quite a few home runs too. And she's in the back half of that lineup. So um, the, at any moment there, there's a threat of the long ball for this team. Yeah. I mean, looking at Missouri's stats, it's, it's kind of horrifying. If you're a JMU fan, you're like, how many home runs do they have? You know, it's, it's really impressive yeah, yeah, what they've no. been able to do across the lineup. And I was curious, just one last one, as you had mentioned the, the atmosphere and sort of the first, one of the more meaningful sporting events for a couple of years for Missouri, 
I think you had a tweet that a lot of other coaches were there. What was that like in terms of, I guess, other programs supporting Missouri at the regional? That, that's the other thing. I, I think this, that this Mizzou softball team right now sort of symbolizes the most uh, optimistic moment in Mizzou athletics in a long time. Um, last year you had, I mean, with football, the first year head coach in the Eli Drinkwitz who sort of took uh, a program that had also come off a postseason ban. He lost a lot of players, as happens when you have a new coach, ends up going 5-5 five and five in an all-SEC schedule. Had a lot of charisma. I think the fans bought into him. Um, then basketball, men's basketball makes the NCAA tournament uh, after sort of two dud seasons the last two years. So things sort of moving in the right direction in those revenue sport programs. And now you have a softball team that's nationally ranked trying to get to the Women's College World Series. And I think, uh, again, that combined with the, the post-COVID sense of the whole thing, it was the whole community coming together and, you know, you had fans, you had the men's basketball coach, Conzo Martin standing on the sort of the con pacing as he does throughout that game. And I would see fans just come up to him and shake his hand. And so I, there's sort of a sense of everyone in Columbia is all in on this team right now. And to see the coaches there, uh, everyone's really excited about that. And, and yeah, it's, it's probably as like, Things are looking up more than the last couple of years, as far as I can remember it, in this college sports community right now, I think at the zoo. Awesome. Jack, that's pretty much all I've got. You got anything else? No, I have no, well, here's just, of course, whenever we have a guest on, we have to have a prediction. So what is your prediction? How, yes. how many games is it going to go? Everything like that. I think I'm going to take Mizzou in three. If I if I had to say something, I think uh, again a lot of people sort of think that that it, Mizzou might not have that hard a time. I think Alexander's going to be really tough to crack in the first game. I think the trend all season has been that that this lineup has figured pitchers out uh, once they get a good enough look at them. So I think it's going to be a lot tougher for JMU to win the second and third games. So I, I would. If I had to make a pick, I think I would go Mizzou in three. I like it. I like that one. Awesome. And where can JMU fans who want to read about Missouri and I guess previews of this matchup, where can they find you and your work? Yeah, go to stltoday.com. That's the uh, website for the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. You should have coverage throughout the week. So, Awesome. Appreciate you taking the time. And the first time we've ever had a, another Bennett on the show. So I think Jack might've been overwhelmed, but I was pretty excited. <laughs> I know. I'm sorry. You usually there's probably four or five Jacks, right? I would, yeah. <laughs> He's so. always bringing on all these extra yeah, Jacks. I, I, <laughs> uh, next up, we'll have a Jack guest just so we can. <laughs> yeah. Weird flex, but okay. You know. <laughs> Happy well, to thanks. have some Bennett. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we appreciate the coverage and the insights because we certainly were in need of uh, some Missouri insights. So thank you. Of course, of course. Thanks for having me, guys. Always good to have another Bennett on the podcast. It made me all feel right, at home. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, <laughs> it was fun, though. He gave us some pretty good insights, and I enjoyed those. And the one that I want to kind of kick to you that I think is interesting, because we've talked about this offline, but he had mentioned that Missouri is really good at figuring out a pitcher. And JMU's plan appears to be to ride one pitcher. So what's your what's your level of concern with that? I think, I, I don't know if I mentioned it on the podcast or if it was off air, but I think Alyssa Humphrey is going to have to have a few, whether it's in all three games and she just has like an in, maybe 1.2 innings kind of here and there. Odyssey can probably make it through the first game unscathed just because Odyssey is such a good pitcher. It's probably going to take three or four times through a lineup to hopefully it doesn't go to 10 innings again and she has to pitch 150 pitches. But I think she can make it through one game. And JMU's offense has, and I think Bennett too, Bennett Durando talked about this too, that he thinks JMU's best chances if they can win, if they can kind of steal that first game. So that's huge. If Odyssey can make it through that game. And then game two and three, I think is when it's going to really start getting difficult because that's going to be the fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and so on and so on time that the Missouri batter is going to be facing Odyssey. So the, the key to it is going to be, can Alyssa Humphrey step in and have an inning or two or 1.2 innings or 1.1 innings just to give Odyssey one arrest? 
and to just change the eyes of the batter. Because going from 70, like we talked about, to 45, not only do you have to kind of get used to her pitches and her spin and everything like that in general, you have to get used to a huge, huge just drop in speed. I don't know if Tennessee necessarily overlooked JMU, but I think the way Missouri is going to be locked into this game, I think might be a little bit different, like this series, because Larissa Anderson being from Hofstra and like knowing this program and trying to have them be the underdogs, that's, it's borderline frustrating for JMU to be like not overlooked by an SEC team, but they won't be too. And that, that seems important. And he talked about how Larissa Anderson thrives on like getting her team to think they're an underdog. I don't know how she's going to do that this time around, because I don't think any national media is like saying anything like JMU is going to win. Jamie's going to pull off the up. Like I don't, national media just isn't saying that. So I don't know how she's going to make her team into an underdog, but it is scary that Larissa Anderson has knocked off JMU twice in the CAA championship and with worse teams than JMU. And now here she is. It's essentially the same JMU kind of blueprint of an ace. Lauren Laporte is the is the coach, and Larissa Anderson's on the other in the other dugout. Laporte did edge her in 2020, though. These teams played in 2020, Missouri and JMU, and JMU won a thriller, eight to seven in eight innings. <laughs> Hell of a game. Odyssey threw 175 pitches in that one. How does the? So, I know softball's boy, different than baseball. But goodness gracious, how does your arm not fall off? <laughs> she walked eight in that one. So this is when she was kind of struggling last year with command. Uh, struck out 10, but she gave up six earned, seven runs in total. But she battled. And uh, Bennett Durando had mentioned Hattie Moore and how she's a really good hitter. She did hit a home run off Odyssey in that game. So maybe some good vibes. But Kim Wirt came in as a pinch hitter. But I don't know if she actually really had a batter if that was later or whatever happened there. She didn't seem to do much. And then Emma Rabe, who we had mentioned, was over four. So Odyssey's got some success. Sarah Jubis seems to potentially like Missouri. She was four for five with four RBIs in that win. So <laughs> we're excited, excited about that stat line. I think what excites me most about, and I know Missouri's now coming off of a regional where they had three almost no hitters and only allowed like two earned runs and or like two hits or something absurd. Um, but Call me stupid if you want. I'm I'm excited for this matchup between JMU's offense and their pitching staff. Yes. I don't know if that regional was a good representation of how good Missouri's pitching is or if it was just a blip on the radar that they had a really good weekend. JMU's offense, I think, is going to have a huge chance to put up runs, which is going to be key because I don't think Odyssey's going to be able to hold them to one or two runs. I think they're going to have a couple blasts. So I think JMU's going to have to score at least five or six a game. I think Missouri's regional is one of the weakest regionals. Just looking at the teams there, like they had three other teams that really didn't put up much of a fight and weren't all that good RPI wise or any ratings wise. And I think Iowa state was the second best team and they lost a game before playing Missouri and getting to the final <laughs> where they got no hit. So, I mean, I don't think they were impressive and the, the pitchers for Missouri, they've not been perfect this year, I guess, until you get to that last game with the no hitter and things like that, but they're young, I think, which is interesting where you've got young pitchers who are potentially hittable where, you know, I don't think Odyssey Alexander, even if she's giving up runs, is getting too rattled where maybe you can you can sort of scare the the younger pitchers. And the other thing is they have one pitcher, she's a freshman or a redshirt freshman, who averages like more than a strikeout per inning. But the girl who threw the no-hitter and is kind of the ace, I think she's a, a sophomore, she does not average a strikeout per inning, which when you look at like softball aces, pretty much all of them are getting crazy strikeout numbers. And if you take this JMU team against their ace and you put the ball in play, yeah, some of those are going to find the outfield grass or or go over the fence. So I think it's going to be way different, I think, than the regional where it was like Odyssey carried the way and they scored, you know, some runs to, to help her out. But it was like kind of a pitching performance, at least in the first two, that really helped them win. This one feels like, like yeah, maybe it'll be like 2020 and you got to win a game eight to seven or something like that or eight to six, like they beat Liberty in the regional final. So I'm excited because I think that makes for very good TV. Yeah, I think it's going to – for JMU to win, they're going to have to win with offense, which kind of worries me because it seems like in times, like in the postseason, that JMU's offense struggles a little bit. I mean, they kind of did in the first two games and then their bats came alive against Liberty. Um, So hopefully they can get their bats going because that's the only way they're going to beat Missouri if Odyssey can hold them under their – what is it, 6.67 they average a game. Yeah. 
if Odyssey can hold them to about five or six and JMU's offense can score six or seven, of course, that's how you win a game because that is more than what Odyssey would be allowing. But, but that's so much – I can sit here and talk about that and it's so much easier said than done, especially when they have a home run hitter batting first, second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth in the dugout. All yeah, they're, <laughs> they're really good. So it's it's going to be pretty fun. I guess they won the one against Liberty eight to five. I said eight to six. Liberty didn't actually get six runs. I keep messing up that score, but I'm excited for this. I think it's going to be good. You've got the first two games um, on ESPNU. We'll see if it goes to three games. But nine o'clock Friday, seven o'clock Saturday. These are big time matchups. I'm excited for it. It's going to be fun. What's your prediction? We asked Bennett. Bennett Durando's was Missouri in three, which is very much what you would expect out of a Missouri beat writer. I do um, think that's a fair, yeah. I think that is a fair prediction. And that's kind of like, that's kind of where I would lean, to be honest with you. I think that might make the most sense, but I'm going to take JMU in three. I think the program's been building up to make the women's college world series. And like 2016 was the time when like, well, yeah, you had the bases loaded. as Jalen. We talked, I think we talked about this off air too. Yeah. The bases loaded. Jalen Ford was up to bat. You're down one in the bottom of the seventh. And they had won the first game in that series at home, right? Playing at home. I think LSU was the 10 seed. Jamie was the seven. So even seeding wise, that was like the best chance because they had number two UCLA and the other super rare. I mean, there's no way to, to spin it. 2016, like, ah, oh, that really probably should have been a women's college world series appearance, but there, I think eventually they will get there. And I don't know. I think the team has a chance to play pretty freely. Like most people are going to pick Missouri to win and assume Missouri will make it. And if you look at JMU, like they've already made it as far as any JMU teams made it. So if you lose in the super regional, like hell of a season, everyone's going to congratulate you. And it is what it is. But I think this team's pretty motivated to make it to Oklahoma city. And I'll say that they do it in three games. Although I think it's going to be an absolute bloodbath. Yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm with you. I lean Missouri in three. I think JMU is going to steal the first game, but I think they're going to have a really hard time kind of shutting the door on that because I, it's going to be really, really hard for Odyssey to have to pitch well in the second and third game. But, you know, just because this is a prediction and you got to get a little hot takey with it, I'm going to go JMU in two. Oh, I love that. That'd be cool. Just get it over with and rest up to beat well, up Oklahoma. The thing is, and like, here's how I can talk myself into it. And, I'll, and I'm not truly believing it, but I'll talk myself into it here. I think JMU has the advantage in game one. They have the better pitcher mm-hmm. and they have an offense that we know can score runs. So I think they can steal that first game with Odyssey having a fantastic game. I th- and then game two, I'm feeling a little Liberty vibes. You know, you're kind of down, then the offense comes to live late. Alyssa Humphrey has a, has a good little relief, relief pitch, relief innings. I don't know why I couldn't get that out. That was a really awkward way of saying it. Um, <laughs> I think they can then steal, steal the second game. If it goes to three games, I, I don't see how Jamie wins in three games, in all honesty. I think that's, that's probably a fair take. And I have two more things I want to get to before we hit some Olympic sports Okay, hit me. Okay, first, I think this is the ceiling would be a win. Like, just for JMU fans, like, you would probably draw Oklahoma in Oh yeah, you're, you're, the women's college world. <laughs> Oklahoma's played Missouri twice this season. First game, they won 5-2. to two. They played the next day. They beat them 11-0, to nothing, run rule in five innings. Like, Oklahoma's sickening. Oklahoma's very – like, and I think there's just such a, a gap between the top, like, two or three teams yeah. in softball. And, like, Alabama's crazy. Yeah, so I think I think this is the ceiling. Like I would not expect a national title. So like, that's why I think this is fun because like if they win it, awesome. And if they don't, like I think the season might end pretty quickly after that anyway. So foundation of the program is in a good place. The other thing, the last thing, we got to talk about Lindsey Meeks a little bit. Oh, thank <laughs> you for bringing this up, man. What energy, like. <laughs> What what clutch hit it like everything you can't understate one her just the energy she brings to a team and then you can't understate that clutch triple and she had another clutch single earlier she's really good at the plate and also she's like you know I think a shade under five feet tall so she's got like a team leading like thirty seven walks like her strike zone is not very large she's taking advantage of it 
The energy is awesome. She's like diving for balls at third base. She's going crazy and dancing. Like they need some of that energy and she really kind of provides it for everyone. Here's the thing. I think Lindsay Meeks, it's going to be a packed house down at Mizzou or over at Mizzou, I guess I should say. I think you're still going to be able to hear Lindsay Meeks. <laughs> if she gets on base, you're going to be able to hear her energy. You're going to be able to hear her in the dugout. You're going to be able to hear Lindsay Meeks over a packed house in Missouri. I think that's going to be a really interesting part of this is just the energy there. Cause like Jamie doesn't really shy away from the energy. Like I think them having a massive crowd after a COVID season, like they're just going to be dancing and, Jamie, and smiling. And They play into the energy. I mean, you saw the, yeah. the video um, when they were like strutting before the, te- like the final game. Like, <laughs> yeah. like this team, I don't know if it's their way of getting nerves out or anything like that. <laughs> But, man, do they have a funny way of handling high, high-pressure moments. They've, they've always been like this. They're yeah. always dancing. They're always, like – they're their own pep, pet pan. They're their own hype squad, <laughs> and it's just hilarious. And I think with a packed house that's going to be booing them or whatever they're doing to JMU, I think that's going to be such, like, an energy – like, it's just going to give them so, so much energy that it's just going to be insane you're right about the nerves thing like that's the other thing is like Kate Gordon and Sarah Jubas like take strikes or like are way out in front of a pitch and then they just like laugh and smile and like look at coach Laporte and go back into the box I'm like what is <laughs> that's yeah, it's like, horrifying if you're a pitcher <laughs> like you're they golf swing at your dirtiest pitch and they're like missed that one and it's like <laughs> <laughs> they just don't ever really seem to get discouraged as a team which is yeah. super valuable so Wrapping up softball, put a nice bow on it. We're excited for the Super Regionals. We're excited to jump on the podcast next week and talk about going to the Women's College World Series. Got some Olympic sports, though. We missed last week, so yes. let's, let's hit some Olympic sports roundup. I don't know if we – we didn't put a bow on lacrosse yet, did we? No, we did not. Okay, so they, uh, they won an NCAA tournament game against John Hopkins, lost to North Carolina, but they turned the season around impressively. 100%. And I think they get a whole lot back. So, like, that's a program that seems like it's just going to stay top 25-ish for, like, a really long time. Yeah, and when you're staying at top 25, you can then attract mm-hmm. solid recruits, especially for a mid-major. And you're recruiting a really good area. Northern Virginia, the lacrosse is really big. Maryland, even lacrosse is really big. Um, so, you, you have a pretty good spot. You're recruiting. Uh, yeah, expect J- JMU lacrosse. National championship was amazing that they won a couple years ago, but they're a perennial kind of mid-major power and a top 25 team. Yeah. And it's, it's kind of cool too with them where like they'll play 20 games in a season and like six of them are conference games. So like you can recruit and be like, Hey, we're going to play Maryland, North Carolina and Virginia tech. And they're like, Oh, cool. (laughs) Yeah. It's not just a CAA schedule, which is sweet. And baseball lost. We got to talk a little baseball. I, they don't want to. They're not good. Well, they're good. Here's the <laughs> They have the talent. They, they got some guys, yeah. They got Chase DeLauder, who was like RCBL MVP, which isn't saying much. <laughs> He's going um, up against plumbers. and. <laughs> but it was, the weird, it was the weird RCBL season where like half the Valley yeah, yeah, yeah. that couldn't play the Valley went to. So they have him, who also burst onto the scene last season, was going to be Rookie of the Year in the CAA was an all-rookie selection and an all-CAA selection this season. You have Trey Dabney, who's, who's been bit by the injury bug, but was an all-rookie team. Josh Jones, who's kind of been up and down with his career at JMU, but he's another – was looked like a, a lot of potential. A lot of the team was batting over 300 this season. They have the players, at least on the offensive side of the ball, and yet they still somehow – they didn't even make the CAA tournament. <laughs> I mean, it's, is Josh Jones even on the team anymore? I don't know. I'm not seeing stats for Josh Jones. Let me he think. was, and then he wasn't, and then he was, and then he wasn't. He may not be. No, he's no longer. I don't know what happened to Josh Jones. We lost Josh Jones, but they have like a lot of good players. Fox like Simone's in his 15th year of eligibility. <laughs> and then, I mean, like guys that they had, I was talking to you about it. I was kind of laughing. Like they had. What is it? It's <laughs> here we go. One, no, one, two, three. I think it's six. Yeah, six guys who played regularly and like qualified um, for the batting, you know, things or whatever, who hit over like 310 and they finished 11 and 17 as a team. Like, what are you doing? How does that happen? 
Like Chase DeWater, you mentioned, he had 39 hits this season, right? Pretty good. 20 of them were extra base hits. He's so good. He has an OPS of like 1,200 or something. I mean, his slugging percentage is 723. Led the team with six homers. He's been fantastic. Like they have some bats. The pitching was not particularly good. Um, they had some guys who really struggled. I mean, you have guys who have an ERA, you know, four guys who pitched significant or reasonable innings that had ERAs over nine. <laughs> like, so, I mean, you got to, I don't know. It's just, they've never seemed to piece it together where they had years where they had really interesting pitching that did well. They couldn't hit for whatever reason. And now they can hit, but they can't uh, pitch. And I, it's, it's, I think you're, you're at least coming up on some, some hard questions here for, for Eikenberry. I don't know if he's locked in for a contract next season. I might have to just FOIA this and <laughs> find out. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, I don't, I don't know what the the future holds for him because he's been here kind of a while, and they they were making progress, but it was they the kind of progress. Progress. They're they're <laughs> like winning an extra like three games. Yes, season, which you could just chalk up to the how the ball bounces. It was very incremental. So he's been around since, you know, they hired him in the, the summer of 2015. Let me grab all the, the, the records under Ike here real quick, but they're just, they don't inspire a lot of confidence. And when you see the team that plays, you know, I don't know how far it is. Away. Yeah. <laughs> it's not very far. And they're going to super regionals every year. All right. So he started in 2016. That was his first season hired in 2015, 24 and 31. The first season, whatever. 24 and 27 the next year. So the wins didn't actually improve. The winning percentage did. <laughs> then they went 26 and 26. So it's a, what, two win improvement? Cool. 31 and 26 in 2019. I would like then to say that 31 and 26 season two benefited a lot from a cupcake schedule to start the season. Like they, they were playing, like yeah. they were playing Norfolk State, Lafayette, and like these, these like not great programs. And they, so yeah, 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 you're right. They were six in the conference. Yeah. Right. So once then, they got to conference play, they stunk and then they lost the play in game for the CAA tournament or something like that. Yeah. They went 10 and six in 2020 <laughs> before it was shortened. But again, I think some of those were like, you know, yeah. Be, but they had some walk offs. They looked exciting in 2020. There was some excitement in 2020 before COVID canceled. I'll give them that. But then they go 11 and 17 this year. So if you combine 2020, 2021, you're looking at 21 and eight or 21, 23 which obviously is not, not good. I mean, they haven't won 30 games since they – I mean, sorry, 40 games. They haven't won 40 games since 2011. Look, this is going to be my last comment on baseball for today's podcast. We might have to get Nick on to have like a full deep dive and a season in review. My last – you got to hit the reset button on that team. Like, look what ba- basketball did. We all were so worried about firing row and you're going to lose so many key players. They just won the CAA regular season – and we're a blow up in this in the second half against Elon away from arguably winning the CAA championship too. So it's just like the, uh, we've talked about this before, but like the Valley cares so much about like softball and baseball. There's no reason this team shouldn't be able to make a regional at the very least every like three seasons or and three have, to five I think seasons. Bryce Suter's coming in next season. Who's just been tearing up the Valley high school circuit. And even if they're not making a regional, like at least give, give them a team that like, well, I mean, if you're at the top of the conference, you're probably making a regional. Like the CAA's got some good teams. You next season in theory, they're going to have DeLauder and suitors. I'm not going to add Dab. I, I'm a huge Dabney believer, but he just, it seems like he's injury prone. He hasn't really kind of, at this point. I, feel like <laughs> I guess he's only Richard sophomore. So they might have him for like six more years too. Yeah, exactly. But but with suitors, who we assume is going to be a, a contributor like DeLauder, you have two solid players, all CAA caliber players. Maybe Can't I'm, they get everyone back if they want it. Yeah. And like, I'm, maybe I'm giving Bryce Suiters too much credit too soon. He hasn't even taken up his first pitch at JMU. But like, you got to be good. Well, hit My concern is like, how long does Chase DeLauder stay? If this guy's like as good as we think he is, like, does he want to go 11 and 17 in the CAA or does he want to like, snag a p5 offer yeah that's a good point i don't know it's just like they have pretty good players and a lot of them are returning and it feels like like you're saying like if they hit the reset with a buyington kind of thing who's to say they wouldn't just make a huge a huge leap it's just frustrating because they should be better and 
Any other lacrosse we got to hit? Not Not lacrosse, Olympic sports. I think that's everything. Women's golf was hanging on for a while, but I think we hit on them the last time that they were 17th at 18 in the region or something like that. So Shelby Stabe, sorry if I'm mispronouncing that name, um, is in the NCAA East prelims for track and field. Heck yeah. And we just got to mention it. Football has added the oh, yeah. 15th and 28th <laughs> um, defensive linemen to their roster. So expect every down a new, uh, just a complete change i don't i mean like our kids gonna transfer out like they got they added a kid from army with three years they added the ohio state he was ohio state walk-on which i think is worth noting um but he's still it seems like he's got some talent and then a towson kid who was a team captain for them here's here's my take defensive line is to jamie football as guards are to jamie basketball <laughs> they both have an unhealthy obsession is what you're saying Unhealthy obsession and just willingness to give out roster spots to a position group you don't really need to bolster anymore. I'm pretty excited to see what happens with that that defense as a whole. I think they're going to be gross. And then Cole Johnson. Did we talk about Cole Johnson yet coming back? Oh, no, but before we, before we jump to Cole Johnson, it's also worth noting that on top of them being a fantastic D-line at the end of last season, three or four – potential starters that were slated to be starters back in the fall. Yes. They're coming back. Um, So they are literally so like Jalen green, who was supposed to be like an Andrew Ankra DACA type of player who got injured. He's coming back. Like Isaac Ukwu. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Um, And Cole Johnson now is coming back. And with that, I'm going to make a way too early prediction. I think I made it last time. North Dakota state JMU in Frisco in the fall with Cole coming back and what they return on everywhere, everywhere. And, the, and the defensive line additions. I will, I don't know what I said last. I think I said North Dakota state. I feel pretty confident that Jamie's going to win the national title. Yeah. I would say Jamie's now going to win. I don't think it'll be close. I think they're going to win every game by at least 20. Here's the thing. I do worry that North Dakota state now has that Virginia tech quarterback. Who's just, it's going to be that I forgot about. Yeah. He's good. That's why I like them a little bit. If he's, yeah. If he's anywhere near good, they're going to be great. That's going to be wild. And I still stand by my take that Signetti, one of those early cupcake games, Moorhead State opener, you got to win 100 to nothing. That's like, the only way Jamie fans will respect you. Uh-huh. And they, oh, they added, uh, they promoted. Mike Shanahan. Mike Shanahan, he was a wide receivers coach. You were right. It was internal. I was like, no, they're not going to give it to a wide receivers coach. Of course they did. Um, so he's taken over. And then they added Tino Sinceri, former Pitt Panther star as the quarterback's coach. Also, did you see his connections? He's had some pretty good coaching gigs. <laughs> he was like the quarterback coach at Alabama with Signetti. It's like, that's a, like, I feel like that wasn't getting a lot of attention. Maybe just because, I don't know, but I felt like that was a huge one. They got some, they got some coaches. And uh, I really just hope, though, that they start stomping, like, run up the score. <laughs> that's the only way JMU fans, I guess, are going to be appreciative of what Kurt Signetti has done at JMU. But I digress. Anything else you need to add? That's it. Looking forward to softball. I dropped my pen. Well, for Bennett Conlon, my name is Jack Fitzpatrick. You guys have a wonderful rest of your day. And tune in to JMU taking on Missouri in the Super Regionals Friday at 9 p.m. on ESPNU. See you. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.